Welcome to Radio KBPV, Tales of Kootenay Brown Pioneer Village, a podcast about the history of southwestern Alberta, presented by Kootenay Brown Pioneer Village of Pincher Creek, a museum complex that documents the stories of Western Canada's agricultural settlement through the preservation of local buildings and artifacts among a six-acre park. Pincher Creek is a town of 3,700 souls in a vast rural trading area of some 3,000 rural dwellers. A vibrant region of rolling prairie, foothills, the Rocky Mountains, the Pecani First Nation, Waterton Lakes National Park, the Crow's Nest Pass, and the Upper River Watershed of the South Saskatchewan River Basin. Join us in this podcast where we present walking tours of our buildings and hear the stories of the farmers, townsmen, cowboys, mounties, pioneer women, politicians, chroniclers, miners, railroaders, and so many other significant histories of this particular corner of Canada. Kootenay Brown's Cabin. The home of Kootenay Brown is central inside the Kootenay Brown Pioneer Village, and that's fitting. John George Brown was a central figure of the early history of southwestern Alberta. And he was selected in 1966 as the icon after which the village would be named. And in 1970, the building uh, became the beginnings of the Kootenay Brown Pioneer Village. Kootenay's cabin preserves that pioneering spirit that was so vital to the development of this district. And he's not alone here. The friends, neighbors, and colleagues of Kootenay and many characters from across the decades are represented by the village's rendition. But who is this man, Kootenay Brown? The legend of Kootenay Brown begins very simply as John George Brown in Ennistimon, County Clare, Ireland in 1839, born into an English military family. Attending Sandhurst Military College, John was commissioned into the British Army and posted to India during the 1857 mutiny. In 1861, Brown sailed for Panama, taunted by tales of gold in British Columbia. Sailing to Victoria, he traveled up the Fraser River to the Caribou Rush. After two years of mining and trapping, Kootenay made $3,000 but lost it in a mining deal. With little more than his clothes, Brown left Williams Creek in the fall of 1864 and got a job laboring on the Fraser River freight boats until word came of another gold strike in the East Kootenays. Brown's luck was no better, so he took a job as a constable. When his pay was reduced, John partnered with four other prospectors in a placer claim. They sold the claim, then set out across the Rockies to check out rumors of another strike at Fort Edmonton. With no knowledge of their direction, the quintet struck east over the mountains with one horse, then traded with the Kootenay First Nations for four more horses. This deal gained John George Brown his nickname of Kootenay Brown, a handle he proudly endured for the rest of his life. The party crossed the South Kootenay Pass, where Brown was captivated by the area's stunning mountain scenery and vowed one day to return. Once on the plains, the gold seekers followed the rivers east, ignorant that they were on the South Saskatchewan River, 400 miles off course from Edmonton. Camping at the mouth of Seven Persons Creek, the party encountered some hostile Nakoda, 
and Brown took an arrow in the back, the head burying so close to his kidneys that his companions were forced to remove it and treat the open wound with turpentine. The party split up as Kootenai and a companion named Goldtooth followed the South Saskatchewan and finally arrived at the Maintee settlement of Duck Lake, where Kootenai and Goldtooth lived for the winter and left for Fort Garry, Manitoba in the spring. In 1866, Kootenai went to work for whiskey trader John Gibbons, working along the Cree and the Ojibwa near Portage La Prairie to gather buffalo hides. After a shootout in which a trader and a Minnesota Indian were killed, Kootenai Brown lost interest in the trade, and in April of 1868, he moved to Dakota Territory and hired himself out to the express company of Charles Ruffey. For $50 a month, Kootenai carried the U.S. mail from Fort Stevenson to Fort Benton, Montana. The route depended on a series of way stations where horses and riders were replaced to let the mail keep moving. But amid the tension of the Lakota Wars, station keepers were killed with hundreds of company horses stolen. When Ruffy's firm was bankrupted, the U.S. Army took over the route and rehired Kootenai to continue the work. Among his fellow couriers at that time was William F. Cody, better known as Buffalo Bill. In May 1868, Kootenai and the Lakota Métis Joe Martin assumed the dangerous Fort Stevenson-Fort Totten route and were captured by the Hunkpapa Sioux Party led by Totanka Yotanka, who we know today as Sitting Bull. Both carriers would have been killed instantly had Martin not spoke the language. With buckskin apparel, leathery face, and flowing long hair, Kootenai was easily mistaken for a Métis. Brown and Martin were spared their lives, though as a warning to the army, they were stripped of their horses, guns, their mail, even their clothing. So naked, foot sore, and bug ridden, the scouts eventually walked to Fort Stevenson, where a sentry asked Kootenai, What's up? In reply, Oh, nothing much. The Sioux have your mail, horses, and our clothes, and came very near to getting us. Kootenai stayed off the trail for a few months, but resumed his duties in November of 1868. In working with the Métis mail carriers, he met and married Olivia Leone in 1869. The Browns lived at Fort Stoughton and Stevenson, where Kootenai often hunted buffalo. In 1872, Kootenai joined the U.S. Army 7th Infantry as a scout and served until June 1874. When his pay was reduced, he resigned and joined Olivia's people in the nomadic hunting camps. For three years, the Browns traveled as the Métis caravans, followed the northern bison herds throughout the Cypress Hills, the Milk River Ridge, the Missouri Coteau, the Capel Valley, and northern Montana. Hunters like Kootenai owned several swift horses, buffalo runners they called them, capable of outrunning stampeding herds. Each family was responsible for butchering its own kills, as Olivia would have spent her life doing. But as the herds dwindled, Kootenai Brown was forced into the crude and dangerous business of wolfing. In the spring of 1877, Kootenai Brown came to a camp near Fort Benton where the fur merchant Louis L., invoked an unsettled debt. Their disagreement turned violent and Kootenai plunged a butcher knife into L's abdomen, 
wrenched it sideways and nearly severed the man in half. As the life bled out of Al, Kootenai galloped out of the camp, realizing he'd committed cold-blooded murder. Choteau County Sheriff William Rowe pursued and arrested Brown on the Marias River. During his incarceration, Brown attempted suicide by thrusting a small knife into his chest. The new sheriff, John J. Healy, who'd arrived to serve his breakfast, saved his life. Medical attention was administered, and by autumn, Kootenai was fit to stand before a grand jury in Helena on the charge of murder. Brown entered his plea, not guilty, by reason of self-defense. Two days later, he was acquitted and saved from hanging. A trial was the turning point of Kootenai Brown's life. Though he rarely spoke of the incident, there is little court evidence to explain why the case was dismissed. Proclaiming that the two sweetest words in the English language were not guilty, he decided to settle at those sky-blue lakes that he'd first seen at the South Kootenai Pass, where his formidable legend would only continue to grow. After a decade of rough riding adventure and a close brush with the hangman's noose, Kootenai Brown crossed the Canadian border, fulfilling the vow made a dozen years earlier to reside in the place of my dreams. With Olivia and their two daughters, Kootenai moved to Waterton Lake and built a cabin on the shore. The abundant trout in the lakes and streams provided steady income. A wagon load of fish could sell in McLeod for $75, and Kootenai Brown could stay and chat up the Mounties freighters and traders like the old notorious Fred Canoose. Kootenai and Fred Canoose partnered in a trading post on Waterton Lake, swapping furs with the Tunaxa, Salish, and Pecani from Montana for dry goods and whiskey, in spite of alcohol prohibition on both sides of the border. Brown and Canoose also gambled with their customers, competing in foot and horse races and target shooting. Less than honest in their dealings, on several occasions they turned back winnings just to spare their lives. When American authorities discouraged their charges from crossing the border, Brown and Canoose were put out of business. Kootenai was a reputed hunting and tour guide and willing to aid newcomer ranchers and settlers. The pioneers of Pincher Creek were endearing of his visits and his help and reciprocated with a drink whenever the scout would visit. In 1881, Senator Matthew Cochran located an open-range ranch at the Big Hill west of Calgary. But when the winter of 1882 and 83 proved disastrous, Kootenai recommended that the Cochrans take up a range at the Waterton River, where the winters were milder. The Senator's son, William Cochran, managed the Waterton operation and appreciated Kootenai's advice. As prominent investors scoped out Alberta, Kootenai accepted guiding assignments from absentee stockmen and tourists, such as Alexander Staveley Hill of the Oxley Ranch and the Earl of Latham on hunting and fishing expeditions into British Columbia. Clients marveled at the dichotomy of an educated British officer with the flair of an American mountain man, sporting flowing hair, buckskins, and a broad slouch hat. While Kootenai was away on a commission in 1883, Olivia gave birth to their son Leo, but never re fully recovered from the uh, childbirth. 
She tragically perished soon after. Unable to care for the small children, Kootenay arranged for Father Lacombe to take them in, and they were scattered between mission schools and convents and never reunited. When the revolutionary Louis Riel rallied the Métis at Batoche in March of 1885, the militia was called out. With a native uprising imminent, local tribes were rumoured to be in sympathy with Riel. Rancher John Stewart organized 115 cowboys into a cavalry corps, the Rocky Mountain Rangers. Kootenay Brown galloped to Fort McLeod, covering 40 miles in under a day to offer his services as chief scout to the brigade. He marched with the corps to Medicine Hat, where the Rangers set up headquarters. At Seven Persons Creek, Brown recalled the 20-year-old incident where at that very location he'd taken an arrow into the back. Revisiting the scene, he pulled five slugs out of a cottonwood tree and discovered two skulls along the creek, a stark reminder of an earlier time. Despite the mobilization, southern Alberta remained quiet and the rangers were discharged. For his efforts, Kootenay received the Northwest Medal and a 320-acre grant of land. Kootenay's service returned something else more valuable. While patrolling with the rangers in the Cypress Hills, he met and took in a Cree First Nations woman, Chipete Takakwakason, translated as Blue Flash of Lightning. He brought her back to Waterton as his new wife and gave her the name of his sister, Isabella. Familiarly, Kootenay called her Nichimus, which means sweetheart. Isabella was a devoted companion, adept at hunting, butchering meat, and curing and tanning hides. She accompanied him often on hunting and fishing trips and kept the household when Kootenay left to scout for the mounted police. In 1887, Kootenay packed supplies through the Crow's Nest Pass to supply and guide Superintendent Sam Steele's troop of police, returning to McLeod from an assignment at Kootenay Landing. In 1887, Kootenay accepted his military land grant on the east bank of the Waterton, which was then known as the Kootenay River, where he and Isabella built a comfortable three-room cabin. In this dwelling, Kootenay and Isabella spent 20 years together, where Brown made the most historically significant work of his life. In 1895, Kootenay began a fight to have his beloved Kootenay Lakes set aside as a national park to preserve the rapidly disappearing species such as bighorn sheep, grizzly, and mountain goat. Brown recruited several political allies to pressure the Dominion government. On May 30, 1895, the government set aside the Kootenai Forest Reserve. In January of 1981, Kootenai was appointed fishery officer for the reserve and in 1910 was named a forest warden. He harassed the government to have the reserve expanded, and finally in 1911, the Kootenay Forest Reserve was elevated to status as Waterton Lakes National Park. In 1914, the park was enlarged to 423 square miles. As acting superintendent, Kootenay was responsible for the supervision of road building, trail cutting, and fighting forest fires. But when Waterton required a full-time superintendent, Brown was passed over due to his advanced age. 
Kootenai accidentally created a new industry when he discovered oil on Cameron Creek, the first petroleum found in southern Alberta. With William Aldridge, a Mormon farmer from Cartston, they collected the oil into gallon jars and sold it to local farmers for wagon axle grease. Soon speculators began trading in stock and bringing in drilling equipment to develop Alberta's first oil well. But the boom didn't last as profitable production could not be sustained at the place they called Oil City. Bringing heavy equipment in on muddy roads halfway up a mountain ate away at expenses, and Kootenai didn't make a dime. On July 18, 1916, Kootenai passed away at the age of 77, bequeathing all of his possessions to Isabella. He was buried at Waterton Lake beside his first wife, Olivia. Isabella lived with neighbors until her own death in 1935 and was buried on the flanking side of Kootenai Brown. Thank you for listening to Tales of Kootenai Brown Pioneer Village. This episode was researched and written by historians Farley Wood and Gord Tolton. This podcast is recorded and engineered by Gord Tolton. Episodes can be found at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Podbean, or any other podcatcher. Visit our website at www.kootenaybrown.ca. Kootenay is spelled K-O-O-T-E-N-A-I. Also, visit and join our pages on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for more information on our museum or even better, visit us at 1037 Beverly McLaughlin Drive in beautiful Pincher Creek, Alberta.